Live Internet Talk Radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, Energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ed Klass with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we're running a special episode featuring Doug Sleeter. A few weeks ago, Doug was kind enough to be a guest on The Soul of Enterprise, and we had such a great outpouring of conversation from that show that we thought it would be a good idea to run a second show. Right now, we're ready to listen in on our second conversation with Doug Sleeter about blockchain and Bitcoin. And Ron, you wanted to talk a little bit about blockchain as the trust protocol. What do you mean, what do you mean by that, and why do you think it's important? Well, the idea that, you know, that we can put faith in math and the math of the blockchain rather than having faith in people you have faith in math. So it's been called the trust protocol by um, the authors Don and Alex Tapscott, I believe, and the economists labeled blockchain technology as the trust machine. So you could literally see on the back of, you know, a, a Bitcoin, I, I know it's virtual, but it, it would say something like, in math, we trust, <laughs> right? right? And my 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 point about this was if it's a trust machine, there's obviously lots of applications for that. But this will create more countable institutions. And, and Doug, I just wanted to get your take. I mean, imagine if you donate a dollar to the Red Cross with blockchain technology, theoretically, you'd be able to see the trace of that dollar all the way to its end beneficiary, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. And that's, uh, again, this sort of gets to the core of the big why on the blockchain. The big why do we need this? Nobody's asking for something called blockchain. Um, but the big why is because we cannot today guarantee the accuracy, validity, uh, and uh, I guess permanency of data on the internet. Uh, the internet's we, we talked about it in the podcast earlier, uh, you know, how it's a one-way street. Everybody's a publisher. Everybody can instantly put anything out on the Internet. But the reader of anything on the Internet has no way of validating, verifying that what's there is true. And then when you get back to the, the example you just cited about the, the Red Cross dollar that you're trying to put over to the beneficiary, yeah, and imagine all those people that don't have a bank account. We want to, uh, maybe they're in the middle of Africa, and we want to fund a clean water project over there, and there's some people that are willing to do the work, because uh, frankly, they need to drink water, but they don't have bank accounts, they don't have really in many ways not even real governments but they need to uh, uh, thrive as a, and come alive as a society uh, and one thing that 
we can pretty much guarantee is they do have cell phones. And that's huge. We couldn't even guarantee or assume that 10 or even five years ago. Now we can. So now we can get them, you know, the funds, if you will, uh, that they need to uh, become a, a, a functioning society. Uh, and it is through this whole uh, blockchain kind of concept that is going to allow that to happen. I think that leads to something, Ron, you wanted to talk about as well, which is this global distributed autonomous enterprises. In the Tapscott book, they talk about we could disintermediate you, you Uber, which is interesting because now you're disintermediating the intermediary, right? <laughs> which right, is, right, yes. Right? Um, but, but couldn't you, in a sense, and I took this even one step further when reading the book, couldn't you say that the concept of the corporate entity itself is completely disrupted and the mechanism for association no longer is the joint stock company, but the connection on a blockchain? It's a co-op, right? Owned by its members, yep. governed by smart contracts, which is another topic we can talk about. But, Doug, the idea of Uber itself being disruptive, disruptive or Airbnb taking them out and having the, the driver deal with the customer directly is something that the blockchain would facilitate with the same security protocols and identity protocols in place, right? Ratings and all of that. And I just find that fascinating. Yeah, I'm like crazed about it too. I, uh, there's um, Slock.it, S L O C K.it, is a company that uh, will disintermediate uh, Airbnb. So, what it is, is I can essentially, they, there's a little video on their site if you want to go look at it, but uh, I could take from my computer, I could uh, directly access the uh, lock on the door of the apartment I want to rent for a night or a week or a, a month. And because it's on the Internet of Things, so that's the other core technology that we're talking about when we really talk about, you know, uh, disintermediating, some, disintermediating something like Uber or Airbnb is we've got to then be able to digitally access and control access to the car that's the driving driverless car or the lock on the door that's the Airbnb place. These are things that we can um, begin to directly access and rent with digital currency and uh, validate and uh, the, 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 the door is, is on the internet of things so it knows when um, I have uh, the rights to open it and it gives me a key to open it for those few days or weeks and uh, why do we need Airbnb? It, it can even advertise itself in the, in the, uh, <laughs> on the web <laughs> as a, an available spot. Sure. So, or the car, the Airbnb, or the, uh, you know, Uber car that doesn't have a driver anymore, but just sitting there. I think Tapscott put that in, that it's in their book, too, where you're going to get in a car. Uh, there is going to be no driver. You don't need to say a thing. It knows exactly where you're going to, where you want to go because you've already um, put the destination address in. Your, um, your car pulls up. You, you get in. It starts driving you. Um, and by the way, if you're in a hurry, you can somehow 
uh, indicate that. And so then the car can start negotiating with the other cars on the road and paying them in, in, in digital currency to get out of its way so they can, they can get there faster. And so there's this, the Internet of Things, which in this case would be a bunch of cars on a, on a road, uh, negotiating who's going to go where first and next, all with digital currency and all with automated sort of sensor technology that allows us to kind of really get more uh, out of of what we need as humans to get here and there and then takes out that central database of air, of uh, the Uber's dispatch uh, system. Now, who knows if this is, maybe I'm too far out here, but I can imagine this is all possible. So when I see things that are possible and compelling in at least in some sense, I think, you know, this is going to happen. Yeah, you know, there's this idea that you can call up that that car and you could actually own as part of the co-op the service that, that you're using, right? So mm-hmm. you'd be a shareholder in that or, you know, shareholder in that, that co-op. Uh, and, and that's just it's just absolutely fascinating what it could do to the joint stock company. Which is really kind of a relic, um, not a relic, yeah. but you know, invented hundreds of years ago. This could drastically change the way we own things. Yeah, uh, own things. So you were talking about. I think Ed teed up the question to uh, at least you, Ron, and maybe me too. This distributed auto- autonomous enterprise. Um, there's uh, something on the blockchain um, that's going on now with the DAO, D-A-O, and this is a essentially it's an autonomous venture capital, uh, hard to say company, but um, uh, entity <laughs> where organization or yeah right yeah. But but there's not really any people or, or management or anything. It's but there is a voting system that's encoded into the software that that is the DAO and it and it provides for voting on which investments to make uh, in which kinds of technologies and it and it provides for ways that innovators can go in and and uh, what is it uh, vie for or submit their ideas to get funded through the DAO and they've. I think they brought down like 150 million in in uh, venture money, and it's all this sort of a personless, leaderless organization called the DAO. So there's a lot of controversy around it right now because they've, I guess, they had some uh, not bug but some flaw in their voting protocol or whatever that they're working out. You know, and they're working to to sort it all out, but. Uh, as we see, whenever there's innovation, there's something that starts to happen and it goes really fast. And then, then the early adopters find a problem and then they go back to the innovators who fix it. And it's uh, a cycle we're, we're definitely in right now is this early innovation stage in how to use the blockchain to really provide value. And, and there are some people who are, are naysayers in, in, in all of this who just don't see this taking off and really really making and having an impact they just think there are too many problems do you think there's any validity to that claim i mean there's that that's also a possibility right that this is ultimately smoke and mirrors well i i don't think so so let's see if we go back um 
to the original sort of white papers of uh, Satoshi, if you want to look those up. Uh, and you start to study, this is why I don't think so. I, I've started to study the elegance uh, with which they approached this sort of system called the blockchain and then the Bitcoin on top, the digital currency on top of it. The in math we trust uh, concept that Ed, Ed brought up earlier, or Ron brought up earlier, I think that the elegance that's part of the DNA of this whole thing is it is not smoke and mirrors. It is less smoke and mirrors than anything we've ever done in human history to create a system whereby humans can reliably interact with each other, trade with each other, uh, and um, so, let's say get into the ec economic uh, systems of the world. Uh, because all we've ever had before is what do we have? We have governments, which is people, which is corrupt, which is you know warlike. And uh, so, if you look at the way humans have built society. We built it all around finding power uh, amongst men against men and then borders where we fight each other for it. Whereas what the blockchain does is it just completely says, what if we built a, the, the earth or the universe beyond the earth even more in the sense of mathematics and algorithms that determine – and then, by the way, the humans decide how how those will determine outcomes based on mathematical proof and um, rules that are immutable. I, I just – it's such a better way. Now, maybe I'm like uh, disclosing my own sort of even political beliefs in, the, in a sense. It's just I've – I've only seen how, uh, over all of my life, when humans get involved in engineering the solution to human problems, they usually make them worse, not better. <laughs> yeah, unintended consequences, right? Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yep. And that concludes the first segment in our second conversation with Doug Sleeter. But right, right now, we want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Also, hashtag asktsoe and at TSOE on Twitter. We'd also love for you to come to our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can get show notes and previews to upcoming shows, as well as visit our archives, where we have every single show that we've done available in one page, easy for you to find them. And also a special se section where we have our live events, where you can see where both Ron and I, sometimes separately, sometimes together, will be appearing in the coming months. Right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are Leading Results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. 
you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And welcome back. And now on to the second segment of our conversation with Doug Sleeter on Bitcoin and the blockchain. It, Ron, isn't this just uh, all just too complicated? I mean, it, 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 I, you've heard that argument, right, Ron? It's just it's just too complex. It, it, unless unless it gets simplified, unless unless we can take it down to the everyday user, the, the, there's nothing here. Right. I mean, John McAvee, right? Ed made that argument to us at the Libertarian Convention when we interviewed him. We asked him about Bitcoin and blockchain, and that was exactly his response. And I do think it's going to be made simple, right? I mean, I, I agree that these things are going to be if, – if blockchain is the eighth layer of the internet, I didn't even know there were layers to the internet I, <laughs> every day. So, if you know, that that's the ultimate in layperson, right? If I can figure out how to do it without understanding the architecture behind it like you guys do, well, then they had made it simple. And I, I think blockchain will get there, won't it? Well, well if, yeah. you know that, that, that. I think that's the point, right? My my, my mom, my mom, uh, God bless her, is who's who's in her seventies, is is on Facebook, and if if there's a layer of the internet that allows her to make payments and it's like Facebook, she'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and so the, I think uh, you know the the concept of layers of the internet and all that stuff is certainly gets us all scared about. Oh, and then then the math encryption technology and hacking algorithms we throw out these things as though everybody understands what they mean and that's where you're really right at it's just all too complex however um, what we're going to see as the innovators get this all worked out uh, we're going to see it get hidden so 10 years from now blockchain is not going to be what we're talking about but it will be what we all use and we won't even know we're using it so today we use the internet and we're all using TCP IP. I bet many people in the audience don't know that, right? But without TCP IP, we could not have a phone call. We could not use the internet. We could not uh, probably even get energy from the grid anymore. So uh, it, it becomes this building block on which everything else gets created. And right now, since the building blocks are what are new and uh, interesting and needs more investment uh, both in the venture capital world but also in the innovation world that the smart people in the world are going to have to go to work on this blockchain concept and really build on top of it so that it can no longer be what we talk about 
Um, we don't talk about the turbine engine that, that turns uh, electromagnetic uh, energy into electricity that we then uh, you know, consume in our house. And we don't know what voltage is what or how many amps is what, but we all use it. And if we couldn't have that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, kind of be very successful. Uh, so it's one of those things. We're just too early, so that's why it seems complex. Let's take it down to that level now, guys, and and let's talk about the concept that you can find on the internet. But I'd like to hear your both of your perspectives on it, and that is the the idea of triple entry bookkeeping. And I'm going to first turn that over to you, Doug. First of all, what what would be the idea of triple entry bookkeeping? Well, okay, so. Double entry, I think, is where we need to start, and that is double entry is, uh, you know, we have two parties in every transaction. There's the buyer and a seller, um, uh, and the buyers, ha- uh, the buyer and the seller both have um, accounting systems of some kind. Maybe it's just at their bank, but um, it's often within their accounting books uh, at their company, or maybe their personal books. Uh, and so, when a transaction occurs, somebody's books gets the credit, and the other company gets a debit and both books have bookkeepers who enter those transactions and hopefully they enter them both accurately and they agree but they very seldomly uh, talk to each other about how they're entering those transactions and so occasionally we have a problem which is uh, you know buyer um, will call Bob and um, seller will call Alice well, Bob uh, didn't think that it was, uh, you know, forty nine ninety nine. He thought he got the discount for thirty nine ninety nine. But Alice recorded the uh, the sale as forty nine ninety nine. Sends an invoice over to Bob. Bob says, "Oh, geez, forty nine. Oh man, now there's a problem. They have to talk about and they have to negotiate. You know, who's right here, and uh, figure that out. So that's a lot of cost. If you think about all the costs so far in our discussion here, Alice put in the transaction." and Bob put in the transaction. They didn't talk to each other. Alice sent an invoice. Bob looks at it, argues, and there's a lot of cost in both their recording of the transaction and now in their relationship to to, uh, figure out what's true. Uh, So triple entry then would get us so that neither Alice nor Bob would have to um, uh, directly enter a transaction per se, because what we're going to do is now we're going to have a public ledger, one ledger that everybody uh, can see and that only valid transactions get posted to. And what does a valid transaction mean? Well, it means, and we discussed it in the podcast a little bit, but in math we trust. So a transaction is proposed to the blockchain, and there are miners in the blockchain that validate. They basically use mathematics and encryption technology to validate that, in fact, when um, Bob wants to pay Alice that he, in fact, has the money um, uh, in his account, if you will, uh, that will actually be uh, valid and and transfer then to Alice. But that's in a public ledger, not in the two of their books. Uh, This is such a dramatic shift because there's one record instead of two separate records that might disagree. There's validation that no transactions get added to it 
that haven't been validated by uh, a distributed set of uh, disinterested parties. These are these miners that that have computers that solve complex problems that if they all agree, then the transaction is valid and it gets added to the, the ledger. That's huge. Is that effectively th- – there would be no reason or there would be no such thing as void checks anymore, right? Right. It, or, or float. The float doesn't happen anymore. You know, people that send a check and then deposit the money later, that can't happen anymore in this in this new world. And you could say good or bad, but mm-hmm. I think we agree that in general, that's kind of a better better way to go. So, so what's the first step for software companies? Would it just be something as simple as having a, a, a currency that is capable of handling eight eight positions after the decimal point to take micropayments? I mean, in a way, you could say that that's that's kind of Bitcoin or or uh, cryptocurrency enabled software, right? That, that as long as you can take eight to eight decimals after, because it seems to be the standard now. What do you, what do you think of that? Ah. Uh, yeah, that's a good uh, point. That's sort of a nuance here. But yeah, uh, with a okay, we'll we'll use Bitcoin as our example. But we'll also everybody keep in mind Bitcoin is a one example of digital currency, and there may be many examples in the future. Who's to say? Bitcoin is the oldest, most mature, and and has a lot of legs at this point. But so we'll talk about Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is infinitely dis- divisible. And uh, so one Bitcoin is what I buy today. It's about 700 and – did you say 750 today? 700, yeah. 750, 750, my oh friend. Oh, my goodness. And today is what? Uh, June 16th of 2016. Correct. In case people are listening next year, um, just to get an idea of where we are in the – anyway, so one Bitcoin, Bitcoin is worth 750 U.S. dollars uh, today. Okay, but but that doesn't mean I can only spend one Bitcoin. I can send, spend a nano coin, which is, I, I believe, I think you just looked it up, Ed. Is it 10 to the minus 8? That's correct. It's 8. Well, it's, and, and curiously enough, it's called the Satoshi. It's a Satoshi. Right, correct. <laughs> and so that's this, this tiny, tiny nano, or actually it's like a less than nano, whatever the word is, but right. very tiny fraction of a Bitcoin can be spent. And so what you just said, Ed, is, hey, the, the software companies better be able to handle numbers that are you know, uh, many decimal points wide because most accounting software is just two decimal points, that's it. So that would be an important thing to consider. Yeah, no, because I know in, in some in some accounting systems, because I I implemented these a long time ago, and yeah. you, you, one of, one of the questions that came up, I was doing an implementation at a company that did um, what was it, it the grain, and they they needed three three positions because similar to gasoline. Grains on the open market are actually sold in the thousandths of a, a dollar, <laughs> so. Uh, and that was yeah. that was one of the challenges is that that you had to have a currency that went to to eight decimal points. But in a way, that's only step one or even <laughs> point one, because what yeah, you exactly. really want what you really want is a system that natively tracks the stuff in your system, but then also on this public ledger, right? I mean, that's ultimately where you would want to go. Yeah, or I might even see a future where. I don't know. I might be too far out here, but I'll just say it and we can kind of debate it. Uh, Where we don't have our own books, we all use the public ledger as our books. But what we do keep 
individually is reporting, if you will, business intelligence or analytics on the ledger uh, about our books. Uh, because we've trusted so much in this in this ledger in the sky that that's where the truth really lies. So why duplicate that and, and instead, I mean, specifically dupl- duplicate just our transactions? Why not just pull our transactions out of the cloud uh, or the web ledger? So I don't know what you guys think about the possibility of that or, or the, the wisdom of that, but we could just forget doing our own books. Yeah, well, Ron, no, Doug. I think. And oh, Ron, I'm I was sorry, gonna, yeah, no, no. I want. I was gonna gonna go to you and and ask in your answer and your response to Doug. Also address that. Okay, great. If that were the case, what does this mean from an audit perspective? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So, Doug, I think about you know how we go now and you know your online program goes into your bank and it, it draws in the feed and codes everything and does a reconciliation. Well, we could still have a private ledger that went out to the blockchain and did that, but why would we? Why not just why not just have the blockchain, the public ledger itself, spit out the reports, mm-hmm. and because everything would be verifiable and auditable. You know, Deloitte has figured out that this is incredibly disruptive technology. They've set up a cryptocurrency group. I believe there's about a hundred people in it, and one of the guys I, I think they quote him in. Um, in the, the blockchain revolution book, Eric uh, Pacini, I believe is his name. He said, this is, you know, this is an incredible disruption to our own business of auditing. And so they've set up something they call PermaRec for permanent records, whereby Deloitte, you know, could record transactions into the blockchain and then they'd be able to audit one side or the other or both yeah. <laughs> parties to that transaction. Well, what does this I, mean for auditing? Yeah, well, uh, that's perfect question because I think what... We're, what we're really kind of seeing is the beginning of the end uh, in terms of maybe even bookkeeping as well as auditing. Um, now, you know, I think we'll always need the analyst, meaning, you know, crunch numbers in order to bring data that's usable for advisory uh, purposes out of the data. So it's not like we don't need people to manipulate data and massage it into better information. But the process of recording data and then auditing the truth of the data, those two things are at huge risk in this uh, in this future. And so, you know, warning to all auditors and bookkeepers, hey, your life, your cheese is definitely going to move as this blockchain concept grows. And that concludes our second segment with Doug Sleeter. I want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com and also we want you to visit the website thesoulofenterprise.com where we have show notes and previews to upcoming shows as well as links to all of our previous shows under our show archive. And then especially take a look at our live events page where you can see where both Ron and myself will be appearing in the next couple of months. Hope to see you out on the road, but right now we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. (laughs) 
We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise. Here is more of our conversation with Doug Sleeter on Bitcoin and the blockchain. I guess... um you're, you sound like Bill Gates, you know, his famous line, we overestimate technology's short-term impact and underestimate its long-term impact. Is, it, it, do you think that's happening with blockchain? We're well, overestimating its short-term impact? We may be, yeah. I'm just so excited about it and so many of us that are, you know, sort of techie background and that have studied the, the transaction world that we're all struggling to uh, record and audit. We're all so frustrated there if we really think about it. And so this thing comes along and we're just, oh, my God, this is a shiny new object. Oh, please work. But to be honest, I don't know how to put it to work for me yet. Do you? No, no. <laughs> Invest it's in Bitcoin. Idea. It's working for me. My Bitcoin is up. It's up. <laughs> Let me ask, I'll ask both of you guys this because you understand this better than I do. But, you know, we know blockchain is open source, right? Like Linux. Is that a fair comparison? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. But doesn't that mean that there's still room for companies like Red Hat and others that, that develop specific applications of that open source and are able to monetize it? So there'll be different types of Bitcoin, private, semi-private, blockchain. I'm sorry, blockchains. Yes. Uh, is 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 that where we'll go next? Maybe. Well, that is my fear. Uh, I suppose is the best way to put it is that large organizations like banks and governments will say, "Ah, blockchain technology, cool. It's a cool computer uh, application that helps me with." processing my existing transactions and my existing workflows i could just use that and that'll uh that'll make me better okay uh but i'll have my own and then i can control it right and so this so the big topic here we could spend hours on this and there's a big debate in the in the blockchain community about it is is the public blockchain uh you know, as represented by the Bitcoin blockchain, 
or the Ethereum blockchain. Those are two that are that are separate, but 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 global and and uh, public. Mm-hmm. Are they what we should jump on and everybody use, or is it better that Bank of America has a blockchain and Wells Fargo has another one, and 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 U.S. government has a third, and FBI and CIA? I mean. And and my view currently, as I'm learning and learning and learning, uh, I believe that no, it's going to fail if we have everybody's private blockchain, because then you've got to worry about where we are today, which is integration, meaning um, APIs and conversions of data between chains, because that chain's slightly different than that chain, so we have to send and receive data and potentially screw that up or the the link is dead it's down right now or whatever which is kind of where we are today so i don't like that i like this concept of a a trusted public chain that everybody uses for all sorts of purposes um oh and then the other thing about this if we get the public doing it then all of the innovative smart uh um people who are contributing to this open source code that um that you can get it. You go to GitHub, uh, I think Git or GitHub.com, something like that. Um, you can download this this code. You can compile it and create your 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 blockchain machine, your Bitcoin machine. That code, all of the people who are smart are looking at that code, updating it as issues are discovered, or expanding on it and providing more and more to it. That's great, They're all, but they've got one target to update. What happens when we have all of these different individual chains then? What you've done is what they call forking the code. They started with the public one, and they forked it down. They took a copy of it, and then they start changing it. And so now there's two different um, operating chains. And uh, so then all the innovation goes into the public one, let's say, and not into the private one, or those people that decide to go private, they have to hire all these programmers to keep up with all the other programmers that are putting in, you know, so they're always going to be chasing their tail to stay up to date with the latest technology. So that's a debate. You could argue both ways, but I I think the public one is really what's going to save the world, uh, and the private ones are going to frustrate that process. That's a, that's very interesting. Do you do you have any take on which blockchain technology that you prefer? Is it Ethereum or is it the Bitcoin? Oh well, okay. Uh, they're for different purposes. The Bitcoin is digital currency. It's a special case thing. Um, the Ethereum. It, uh, uh, project, if you will, uh, is all about providing for something called smart contracts. I think we mentioned that before, but Ethereum is really focused on not just digital currency, although they do have a uh, digital currency called Ether as part of the Ethereum chain, and it's vying for you know dominance, just like the Bitcoin blockchain. So I could imagine those two surviving and thriving uh, because they're both public, but contracts are way more than just currency. A contract could be uh, something simple like uh, voting. When we vote for uh, uh, political offices, uh, it's so full of inefficiency and ineffective and uh, uh, inaccurate data that if we could take the blockchain and apply that to voting, how much 
more real would our results in our voting be? Uh, it's kind of like a, a contract, if you will, as I uh, register a vote in it, and it, and it's not really currency, but it's it's another piece of think of it a legal document that I voted for somebody. So, Doug, in the in the blockchain revolution book, the Tapscots talk about ten showstoppers that you know either arguments against or what will slow this blockchain revolution down. And the first one is the technology is not ready for prime time. Yep. Part of it is this transactions per second speed. It's it's pretty slow. Mm-hmm. But do, yeah. do you do you see that as a long term problem, or do you just think that's something that we're going to get better at as we develop more specialized hardware? To right. do the to do the mining, yeah, like the slow there on the and and so what what I think they're really speaking to is like okay, well I'm I'm in line at the store and I'm paying by Bitcoin and it takes ten minutes. What the heck? That's not going to work. Uh, so so how do we deal with that? I have a feeling the way that'll be dealt with is um, well, I th- I think there's a lot of people who are going to have to think that through, but it'll be something like okay, well your transactions went through. Uh, and they're kind of in limbo, like pending transactions in a bank deposit today usually take a day anyway. It's just now it's only going to take 10 minutes, but you're checked out of line and you you move along. The the you know the 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 pull it back concept of how do we undo a transaction that didn't go through uh, at the at the checkout line? I think that is an issue, and maybe that's why they mention that as one of the showstoppers. Right. Um, I have no doubt they'll there'll be solutions here. It could just be insurance or something like that that, that is brought in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good point. Yeah. They do talk about, they do even give the speeds like tra- they, it's TPS is the thing of mm-hmm. transactions per second. And visa for instance, has can process 2000 transactions per second at its peak. It can do 56,000 yeah. PayPal can do 155 and Bitcoin does five to seven. Yeah. So, but you know, we have overdraft protection in our banks, right? Yep. It's, it feels like there's some concept of that that can be applied here. Um, it could be that, you know, where we shop then has to have a little bit more information about us to, 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 you know, dig into our account with them. If, if our blockchain thing didn't, didn't go through. You know, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of innovation going to happen in to solve that problem. Right. And if we buy well, things online, it won't be that big of a problem as a standing in a brick and mortar store having to wait 10 minutes off to the side before you can walk out with your stuff. Yeah. I think that's good analogy. Yeah, but, but you know, and that but that gets into your the possibility of not necessarily private blockchains, but call it meta blockchains, right? So public blockchains based on other public blockchains that by design are, are integrated with one another. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. See, I think there's a lot as we even have this conversation that we discover is like, how are they going to deal with that? How are they going to, and there's a lot of really smart guys thinking about all these things. And as they listen to, Guys like us talking about it who are really we're focused on business and and in my case accounting and and small business process, uh, whereas they're focused on you know encryption technology. They're going to start listening to how we're you know our doubts, if you will, and and they're going to go to work on them. And um, I'm 
confident they get solved in the long run, just like the internet. Do you remember the dial-up modems and trying to figure <laughs> out how to get a, a connection? And let's see, AOL baby. AOL. <laughs> I mean, it was awful. No, I said nobody's gonna. This is never going prime time, and we got it figured out. And that concludes our third segment with Doug Sleater on Bitcoin and the blockchain. More on that after this word from Sage. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And now the concluding segment with Doug Sleater on Bitcoin and the blockchain. Talk, talk about big bad data a little bit. Yeah, well, it's it's one of these things that I, if I'm concerned about something in the uh, global analyst community as well as global governments and um, even the environment, is we're all basing. Uh, what we believe the truth to be on big data. Everybody's rushing to get big data and uh, propagate big data and analyze big data and make uh, um, conclusions about uh, things based on big data. But I'm really familiar with small data. And maybe you are too. And fr frankly, every human is more familiar with small data. We look at uh, our accounting systems, our checkbooks, our bank, our, uh, or maybe we have a CRM uh, or a contact list, or let's say an Outlook, you look at your list of contacts and you realize how many of them are either duplicate or they got the wrong address, or maybe the phone number is marked as mobile, but it's actually the 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 office phone or vice versa. There's four uh, email addresses and two of them don't work anymore. So there's bad data everywhere. Mm -hmm. And my biggest problem is the this big rush to aggregate bad data. And so then we get big bad data and now we have no way of knowing whether it's true or not true, but we're using it to make decisions. And I, I think that's huge. And that's well, why blockchain yeah. is going to help us here. 
Okay. All right. So explain how, how – that's what I wanted to get to. How, how does blockchain help us then? Well, you know, it's not going to solve all big data problems, but it is definitely going to take the bad data in terms of um, – well, let's just say AR and AP. Just give me an example here. Um, remember earlier I talked about Bob and Alice, and she, she thought it was thirty nine ninety nine, and he thought it was forty nine ninety nine, or whatever. The, right. They, their two sets of books had – Different different data, uh, and so it, it it would eliminate that problem because we have now only added transactions to the database that are validated, and so mm-hmm. in that way, I think the blockchain is is a huge uh, step forward to push back on bad data. Um, but it's not going to solve everything, and it's not going to eliminate all the bad data that exists on the internet today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was doing a Wikipedia thing uh, where it was funny. I did this trivia question out to my network of, of friends in a in one of the uh, the forums, and I said, "Ah, question: What was the original name of the software called QuickBooks that we call QuickBooks? What was its original name?" And nobody mm-hmm. knew, and everybody started going to Wikipedia, and it was wrong. <laughs> and, and this big discussion went around. No, no, I looked it up, and it is this, and it is that, and the, all of them were wrong. Uh, and and Wikipedia is wrong. And so the answer to that, by the way, it was in-house accountant. Uh, accountant was oh, the wow. name of the original software. But anyway, that um, that got me really thinking. Even Wikipedia, which has this crowdsourced set of information that hopefully has self-correcting um, people out there that will correct it because it's wrong. You know, maybe I should go there and try to correct that. But um, Or the guys at Intuit know, too. In fact, I had a conversation with the guy at Intuit. He says, no, no, yeah, we, we're just too busy to go fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, don't believe what you read on the Internet, and that's called Big Bad Data, and that's what we're basing decisions on. And I think uh, that that's one of the biggest whys when it comes to the blockchain. We need it. That's a great, I love that, Doug, because I just read The Economist. They have an issue article about the uh, clinical drug trials. And apparently there's a government website that posts a lot of the results from these clinical drug trials. But those can be manipulated by drug companies <laughs> and others. And so this private physician somewhere came up with the idea, well, this should all be on blockchain. And therefore, you'd be time stamped and you couldn't be able to manipulate a drug's effects. It, you know, it, the data would, would be more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I, Another application for this technology. The, the so, one last thing that I had on my list, and then then if you guys have anything else you wanted to to uh, to to talk about, I think that'd be great. But 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 I want to get back to something we opened up with, and that is the, the whole idea of trust and the trust protocol. But you know, we never really defined what do we mean by trust. And I think I think one of the the real important pull quotes from the the Tapscott book that I got. Was where they says where they say this to be clear. Trust refers to the buying and selling of goods and services, and to the integrity and protection of the information. Not trust in all business affairs, and I think that is a critical point that so many people either either they miss that or they pick up on it and they zero in on it right away, and they say this is all crap because you're you're not going to insure that. 
Yeah, I, I love that definition. That that narrowing of the definition that we that we say when we use the word trust, and maybe it says we need to, a better word because trust is too broad in, as a word itself. Um, you know, validation is what I I like to use because what we can well mathematically guarantee to uh, uh, a very high level of not a hundred percent but percent is that the data in the chain is valid and that's so trust and validity maybe that's worth discussing the difference between those terms mm. so so you're saying it's, it's almost not necessarily the trust protocol but the data val- validity protocol right yeah I'm not that sure might. I've got that perfect either though because right. you know you know you know and fraud uh, prevention uh, is is part of that trust fraud you know security all these words we're using we keep uh, throwing them around but you're right the definitions are a little hard when we try to apply them to what blockchain does and doesn't do and their point about humans still can act uh, without w- without integrity using the blockchain, as evidenced by the Silk Road and and, and uh, drug deals and all those things. Um, but um, but that's completely separate from the technology itself, because the technology itself is only promising that it is doing exactly it, it, it's it's. Everything in there is valid, right? Ron, any thoughts on that? No, I, I <laughs> have a last question for Doug. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I think you're right. I, I think playing with these the, these terms is really interesting because I think the word trust is very vague. I mean, when the economist called it a trust machine. It's like, wow, really? There'd be no fraud. Criminals won't use it. Well, we know human ingenuity, right? We'll always, <laughs> we'll always yeah. find ways around things. But is yeah. it better than what we have? Yeah. Yeah, because what we have is is corruption in in both business and government, and, and, and you know, and international trade, and, and you know, so you've got all this corruption going on. Uh, uh, usually, it usually goes back to the fact that there's central points of failure uh, in databases or in control, let's say a bank controls uh, all your data, right? And they control who can see it or not see it or who gets, and people can hack them and therefore get to you. Central points of both uh, uh, the data itself and then the, the failure of the systems. Um, and then the, 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 the corruption in government and uh, things like the Fed and all that stuff in the U.S., I mean, that's a whole five shows probably we could do on that too. But I mean, <laughs> those things really bother me. And I think this is chipping away at those fundamental problems we have built as, as uh, societies uh, across all of human uh, civilization. I agree. You know, my last question to you, Doug, is um, the Chinese have a great proverb. They have lots of great proverbs, but this is a really good one. When the wind of change blows... Some people build walls, others build windmills. You, yeah. you said earlier that you don't know how this blockchain technology uh, you know, could affect you right now, right? What am I going to do with it right now? 
isn't one of the things we could be and should be thinking about doing is investing in companies? Yes. And there is an interesting site that I can uh, quote here. It's um, I'm going to go to it real fast. It's called the uh, – uh, shoot, I had it up here. Uh, I'll get it. But anyway, there's a whole bunch of venture capital flowing in to uh, uh, Bitcoin itself – and uh, therefore, the, the blockchain. Uh, it's on coindesk.com, C O I N D E S K.com. And there's price and data anal- analytics on uh, the block, uh, blockchain and Bitcoin itself. And then there's a, a page in there that says Bitcoin Venture Capital. And you can go, it's in the spreadsheet form, you can go and see all the people investing in what company, what the valuation is, when the, whether it's a series round or a seed round. And so you get a real idea of the economic activity that's being pushed down in this. So your question, Ron, was shouldn't we all be investing in this? My answer is yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like a speeding bullet though i I can't figure out which bullet to hop on (laughs) you know it's high it's high risk but that's where big profits come from right well true i i think um maybe for the audience the first thing is learn 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 on this stuff understand what is and isn't going on and understand problems in your own world where you can identify things that are uh ripe for this kind of of i guess solution uh so if you're uh, trading real estate uh, even you know there's a lot of things around automating and putting on the blockchain the trade of real estate uh, contracts uh, maybe you'll find a company that's really doing that, and maybe you have a particular interest in in, in real estate, and and you, uh, that that would be a great area for you to kind of focus in on. Say, you know, pick some companies to invest in there. Right, like Warren Buffett, invest in what you know. That's right. Yeah, if you understand yeah. their business model and what business model it's improving or imp- impacting, uh, then 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 that's a good way to to start. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, Doug. This has been fascinating. Well, thank you, guys. This is uh, You guys are uh, so far down the curve of all the people I talk to. You you get it, too. So uh, for the audience, I think it's not that hard. You just have to begin to you know immerse yourself in a few articles and podcasts like we're doing here. And it's going to start coming clear to you that this is going to happen. And the question is, and to me, it doesn't even matter when, uh, but it will. It's sort of like, uh, you know, if, if it can ha- happen, it will. And, and in this case, it'll happen over time. So get yourself uh, on educated on it. Um, back to my whole point is agility trumps ability. I like your windmill thing too, Ron, uh, on the Chinese proverb. It's like, wait a minute, you can't just ignore this. It's not going to, you're not going to stop it. Not even a government could stop it. So let's make a windmill around it. Let's be agile. Let's learn it and learn how to take advantage of it in our own lives. Fantastic. That concludes our interview with Doug Sleater on Bitcoin and the blockchain. And we will see you next time on The Soul of Enterprise, which will be our 100th show. We'll be featuring the best of our guests. See you in 167 hours.
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. 